This week on the How To Be 60 podcast, we are speaking to Levi Roots, slayer of the dragons and creator of the famous Reggae Reggae sauce. But at 64, his greatest joy is another chance at fatherhood. And now I have a very young son, his name is Christopher, and I'm really hoping that my mistakes of the past is going to help him to have a better future. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Greetings, everyone. This is Kay Adams with Karen McKenzie with your weekly peek at life beyond the big six. So how are we, Karen? I'm not bad. I'm here. <laughs> okay, well, the only way is up. Marvellous. And um, I believe we have sad news about the sad old camper van. No, the camper van's fine. Well, oh, the camper van's fine. I thought you said there was something wrong with the camper van. No, the car. Because the car's dead. No longer have a car. I remember it was smoking and when I came back down from Inverness one day and the AA came out and, uh, yeah, got back to Glasgow and now it's, um, it was going to cost too much. So you've only got a camper van now. Yeah, but I said, so that's a bit numb. That changes the whole thing. What do you mean? Well, there's one thing about, you know, having a car and a camper van. You, you go off on these adventures in your camper van. But when you've just got a camper van. I've got a bike. Oof, even worse. I got it's just a whole a different vibe. Whole different vibe. What are you talking about? I don't know. There's just something about, like, just having a camper van. I love my blinking camper van. Anyway, <laughs> Teeny wasn't so great this week either. That's what I call her. Teeny, because she's a nice, small, sort of VW camper. She's one. to the entry level. Absolutely flaming. No, can I just... <laughs> I suppose those really big ones, and my granny was called Tunisia. And um, so, God, it was due as MOT. And I had booked it well in advance, but they still couldn't take it just in to get it. So, the, the, sorry, the MOT was out on the Friday. I thought it was a Saturday. Went to start. It wouldn't start. Is this a long story? It's, it wouldn't bloody start. So I called the recovery services to come and start. And do you know what? They wouldn't bloody start it because it had run out of MOT the day before. Well, you've got to stick to the rules, you know. We can't be coming out just because you're too sloppy to renew your MOT. I was very disappointed, I had to be said. I was actually raging. So are we in a bad mood? I went off to get your blinking darning wool. All right, good, good, good. Another flaming saga. Anyway, when I came back down on my bike, did I not pass an AA van? So I doubt I went down. I thought, you know what, sod it, I'm going to go back up. You're not allowed to accost random AA people. Well, I did, and he was very pleasant. So I gave him my saga, and 15 minutes later, down at the house, cup of coffee, cake, <laughs> a bottle of wine, and he started my van. So I've got off to the and got the MOT now and it's back in my garden. Did you bestow favours on a name? And did <laughs> oh, this is a story. This is definitely he's a blinking angel of an EE man. Are you sure it was just a cup of tea? <laughs> oh no, there was the cake on the side. Oh, something on the side. Yes, it was a scone. I can imagine that EE man has got a bit of a story to tell. <laughs> I met this woman. She was a bit older. You know the one on her bike. Yeah. And um, do you want to start with a heartwarming email? I'd love to start with one. Good. This is from Lily. Uh, she says, uh, hi, King Karen. I hope you will. Um, I want to thank you for your immensely hilarious podcast. <laughs> it's funny. Well, maybe not this one, but some of them have been funny. Um, I think I'm one of your younger listeners, perhaps the youngest at 18. She's 18. Lily's 18. She's listening to us. You um, could be your granny. Uh, as could you. As could you. Thank you. Well, my daughter's... 18. 
20 and 16. Um, your podcast has made me laugh so much, really lifted my spirits. I moved to a different country for uni this year and I'm doing a healthcare course, which can mean very long hours on placement and witnessing some distressing things. So having your podcast to play on my journey home really makes a huge difference. Um, I can't thank you enough. Have a wonderful day. Lily. Isn't that amazing? It, thank you, Lily. It, it really is. And I was thinking about this. It's funny, isn't it? I cannot imagine an 18-year-old finding us funny. But then maybe that is my fixation with age because, you know, funny is funny regardless of what age you are. But I suppose I just think 18-year-olds would think, you know, sad old bents. They're not going to listen. They wouldn't even be listening in the first place. I I actually remember um, when I was raising money for uh, refugees and... Camper vans. No. When I was going out to Les, I said, and a colleague of ours, Kate, Emma... Help me, and who's Emma's a good bit uh, sorry, a good bit younger than me. And uh, she came to the house for this event that we'd organised. And my young star Alex said, Emma, what are you seeing, man? Why are you hanging around with her? <laughs> Emma, really sweet, she's because I like her. And Alex was like, I'm not. I'm not all of that. Anyway, it's not, and I, I really thought this would be a nice one to read out because this week's guest is Levi Root. So you have Reggie Reggie Stones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was brought up in Jamaica by his grandmother until he was 11. So I just thought it would be really interesting to get his thoughts on that generation gap because I think we do have this kind of assumption that younger people are not particularly keen to sort of spend time or enjoy the company of of older people. Mm -hmm. And actually it's not true because when I was younger I had lots of older friends and I loved their company. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I mean, obviously that doesn't extend to you. The old um, friends, but your mum and dad's friends. So people I met through work, you know, because, you know, when I went to work in a newsroom, most people were quite a bit older than me. I mean, one friend, Christine, who was 25 years older than me, she was just one of my favourite people. She was hilarious. She was probably law-breaking a lot of the time. But, you know, we went out, we had dinner, we had drinks. She was really? very fun. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if they, you made them feel younger. You know when you're really old and you hang around with your You're sort of flattered when young people spend any time with you. Yeah. Well, so do you think we're charity cases? Possibly. 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 We can also get Levi's uh, thoughts on our theme music, of course. Oh, yes. Because when he went on Dragon's Den in 2007, I watched that actually last night on YouTube. He he sang his song, Reggae Reggae Sauce. It was quite funny actually watching the faces of the dragons because they're all so bloody (laughs) poor-faced, aren't they? And they're sitting there, you know, looking very business-like. And Levi comes up and, you know, he's singing the song and sort of a little twitch in the side of the mouth and there was a little tap of a pinky or whatever but they, they really didn't know what to make of it um helen has been in touch she says re your podcast theme tune which is out for public consultation podcast at htb60.com uh, though karen and i are both deciding we like it we need something that sounds like a holiday a caribbean or mexican oh right hot or fruity just like you both in the word sexy yeah, well, that's deliberate, I think. And I love the way she signs it. Helen, Bournemouth, 54 in four months. Oh, I'm not I think, pointing. I think we should insist that everybody gives their... Exact cake. 60 and one month. <laughs> Karen, what are you? Aye, the rest. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Leslie. Right, Leslie. Um, she's loving the podcast. One day I'll read somebody's email that says this podcast absolutely shite, stop doing it. Yeah, I think, no, I don't think you would. Well, actually, Leslie says... Um, I love the podcast. I've listened since you started. I had to pause the first podcast this year. There's a lot of banter, part of the charm, but it did go on a bit. (laughs) You bounce off each other brilliantly. Maybe admitting to three things that you actually like about each other would make a nice change. Just a thought. So, right, before we bring in Drunk Eye, 
three things that we like about each other? You go first. <laughs> Come back to me at the end of the pod. No, you go first. Um, uh, right. Well, I, I actually I thought about this last night. What do I like about you? I like about you the fact that I don't feel that I have to edit myself. Because <laughs> there's always someone worse than you. No, because you accept the fact that what I'm saying to you is in jest and you're not touchy. Right. And so I, I like that because so much in modern life, I just feel you are having to edit yourself and filter yourself. I don't mean to cause any offence. I don't mean that. Sort of, whereas actually with you, I think you accept that I like you uh-huh. and I like you. Uh-huh. I'm not going to propose, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh-huh. that's really relaxing. All right. I'll take that. I mean, that's only one thing. No, I know that. Is that where it ends? Well, that's quite a big thing, though. No, no, no. Um, I have to say, Kel, I like you. I admire you. I admire your work. Shall we play music? No. <laughs> um, I would say... I don't want you to admire me. I want you to like me. Um, so I just... <laughs> Clearly. No, I think you're good at your work. Obviously, I'm talking about radio, not telly, because I've never seen you on the telly. <laughs> but you're good at your work. Um, Actually, another thing I like about... So I like or admire you. Maybe these things are in sort of difference. You're good with your children. You're patient with your children. So you pop the European thing. Thank you. Yeah, and, and and I do like that. And I think there is a third thing. And my God, I've stretched myself now. I think you're funny. Oh. Yeah, you're sharp. Bit too fucking sharp. Not good at times. <laughs> can I just say? It? But you're quick, and that's and that's good. So there we are. That did take me all evening. Yes. Okay. But well, I'll give it back then. You're funny too. Not because you're quick. You're funny. <laughs> yeah, do you think, like, you're funny? <laughs> no, 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 you make me laugh. So there you go, I'm getting embarrassed now. Shall we speak to I'm the... Shall we That's funny too. No, I'll let, give, give me time, give me time. I'll think, of, what else can I think? Oh, you make great tablet. All right, good. You make great tablet, there you go. Oh, How's thanks. that? Think about me. You're funny, you make great tablet. And Not it. No, I'm happy. You accept the fact that I insult you. That's nice. Shall we speak to Levi after this? Yeah, let's do that. Levi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can I apologise because I know that you're getting a view of my crotch right now because we've got the graphic for the podcast yes. sitting there. And if it's a distraction, well, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's quite, I don't know what, it's quite becoming thing is played out like that. <laughs> 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 yeah, I know, it's making me uncomfortable, that word, oh my God, but never mind. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to sit to the side and hope that I can sort of block it out from your view. I'm, I'm no, blushing, no. I'm actually <laughs> blushing. Levi, first of all, music, because you're a music guy. Yeah. Do you think there's maybe any chance of doing a, like a reggae version of our theme tune? Do you think that would be good? <laughs> actually, it's quite, actually, I quite like the tune, actually. I think what it is, the key word here is about tune. I think it has to be required. I mean, the, the melody is great. The lyrics is good. I think it's the tuning that needs to be done properly and a proper sound, and then it'd be great. So there's, there's nothing really wrong with it. That can't be fixed. I think we'll take that as a positive because we are a bit raggy about the edges. You know, we, we've accepted that and you've probably worked that out already, Levi. So we'll, I think it fits. Listen, Levi, you're, you're 64 now. Um, uh, you've lived a number of different lives in, the, in those 64 years, haven't you? I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, brought up by your, your grandmother in Jamaica, no formal education. Came to London age 11, I think. Got into a wee bit of bother. Then, you know, really... Do- 
<laughs> a wee bit of bother. That's a Scottish expression. We can yeah, talk I'm a bit more about that. No, I, I know what it means. I'll just say that it's pretty much more in that, but a wee bit. <laughs> you underplay it. <laughs> well, I'm very, I'm very politely, but you can tell us what you want. And then, of course, you know, a budding entrepreneur with the the Reggae Reggae sauce, she became a major commercial success celebrity, you're now mentoring. This is the question I want to ask you. Were those all different Levi's or the same Levi in different circumstances? Well, I have the unique um, thing a bit like the Queen that having two birthdays. <laughs> so I actually celebrate two, but well, one I don't really celebrate, but the birthday that everyone that knows me in entirety that knows me for, is not actually my real birthday, it's my second birthday. Um, so I have my Levi Roots birthday, which is me, who I am now and who I became. And then I have the Keith birthday, which I've always said that that was a bit of a juggle between the both of us, of, of who I want to be and who my father named me. Um, so I was born um, Keith Graham, but I became Levi Roots, and that's who I am now. So it's a bit of a unique one. So I never celebrate the Keith one. But that's not really me. But I celebrate the Levi, the Levi Levi Roots one. So tell us a little bit about Keith first, because th there was a Scottish link there, wasn't there? It was. It was. I, I, I you know, when you're in school and, and when you're sort of teenagers and you're just kind of breaking out and you're wondering who you are. Those are the days. In those days, you try to start, you try to find out your name and where it comes from. I was about sixteen at the time, and. Um, didn't really connect with who I was then. Um, couldn't read or write. I came over from Jamaica as a very country boy who couldn't spell his first name, which only had five letters. Um, so for me, it was always trying to discover who I am. And, and I think music was an attraction for me, and I wanted to to get involved in music. And one of the first things I wanted to do is to, is to get a name around myself. And I found out that Keith Graham, was a Scottish name, and that 90% of Jamaicans are Scottish Scottish names. And I, I kept looking in the mirror thinking, I don't look bloody Scottish, so no, something is happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I've got to find out what it is. But in those days, in the 70s, there was no such thing as Black History Month or, you know, things on the TV that you could connect to you are or the internet that you could you could find out. So you didn't, you couldn't, you didn't really know who you are, you you discovered through music. And I suppose it was through Bob Marley's music, through reggae, that I discovered that I'm not Scottish, that I'm African, um, you know, while I'm only named that because of slavery and all that kind of stuff. As a 16-year-old as a boy in the 70s, 73, 74. So it was very difficult to discover who you are, but it was that discovery for me knowing that my name that I am is not really who I am. I needed to discover who I am. And it was through the music and through discovering Rastafari that I got to find out that actually that I am African. So then my name needs to identify who I am. So I changed. I, I started to call myself Levi. Um, and, and Levi, the roots part of it was trying to say I wanted to be as strong as, as a tree. But Levi is the month of June, which is the month that when I discovered um, my birth date, I discovered it as June. I was always known as the month of June, but actually I was actually born in August. Wow. So before you went on your sort of voyage of discovery, to use that expression, I mean, how did it feel as a young man to be looking in the mirror and kind of 
not know who you were or not feel as if you knew who you were? Well, it was one of these things that made a lot of young people like myself went on this discovery, this this time of discovering the 70s. And, and I think this pull of reggae music and this figure of Bob Marley who seemed that he was something that was different from everything else that was going on. We couldn't identify with Christianity because in our parents' houses, we had the picture of the blue-eyed Jesus and all that kind of stuff that we, as young people back then, that was coming out of what our parents, because our parents was fine with that. I mean, they were Christians, so they didn't really argue much about that. But for us, when we were growing up as kids, we, we argued it about it, that there needed to be something else beyond that. And I think it was this emergence of reggae and the Rasta philosophy that made a lot of us went on this journey to find out who we really are. And um, and I think that was a great pull for me. And then through that, music came into my life and um, it's kind of stayed there and, until now. I mean, your parents were part of the, the Windrush generation um, and, you know, you've described it before. You, you basically, as a, as a young person, saw your brothers and sisters sort of be taken. Your mum and dad went off to the UK to to find work and yeah. to to make a bit of money and they kind of sent for you one by one and and then you stayed with your grandmother until that point came is that right yeah and and it was the story of the Caribbean all over I think the grandmas are really heroes you know I I I worship grandmas and I and I just love being because I had this wonderful woman that was looking after me and that was mom dad cat and dog and everything in one um, to me. Um, I couldn't remember my parents when they left. I think I was about four at the time At the time then. And granny was everything. I was a lot of grands then when people were leaving on the, from the Windrush generation, coming to this new world in the UK to, to get jobs and then to send for the kids one at a time. And before I knew it, my brothers and sisters were gone. And I was the youngest one that was there with her and thinking that I was never going to leave. I thought that that's going to be it. Me, me and this wonderful woman that was teaching me how to cook and everything else. Never went to school, by the way, at all. Um, but she was giving me all the education that she knew um, as as the woman, you know, back then in, in the 60s. And it was great. And then eventually, you know, my time came and it was the most difficult thing for me. I still recall as, the, as a 10-year-old, um, to being sort of literally ripped away from her because nobody asked me what to leave. You know, the, it was never a decision that was given to me then to say, look, you know, would I want to stay in this most beautiful place with this wonderful woman? Or do I want to be ripped away and come to a cold United Kingdom that was in the winter and to a mother and father who I didn't really know much? Um, I definitely would have said I want to stay behind with this wonderful woman, but she she was a massive inspiration to me. Did your grand join you in the UK after that? No, she didn't. And unfortunately, she passed away while I was I was still at school. But I suppose the, the thing that she was inspiring me with in, in the sort of six or seven years that she had me, um, you know, nurturing, those were the stuff that was kind of helping me when I was struggling to fit in, um, to fit in with school, to fit in with my brothers and sisters who were here much longer than me and could speak the Queen English and could, you know, he would knife and fork, he'd be proper English and everything else. And here I was really struggling and missing, missing my grandma. Wow. Um, so it, it was really difficult in those first 
five or six years. And those were the key, key days when you were a kid and you growing up. It's, it's those days in school and, and I really struggled. That sounds, as you describe it there, it's, it's a trauma. So, I mean, now we would look at that and say as a child, you, you suffered a trauma. Um, being taken out of a loving environment to a very different and strange environment. How did you deal with it? I mean, you say you struggled. What, what you know? What did that look like? Well, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty picture. You know, I, I struggled to to, to to regurgitate those pictures because it it was pretty grim. The best thing I can say is that I I tried to fit in a lot, as 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 most kids I I think in that kind of situation would want to do, which lead you down the wrong path. Um, where I, I should have been concentrating on other things, but I wanted to be cool. I, I wanted to be the cool kid from the country that could do things that other kids couldn't do because I was struggling at what I should be doing, um, which is the curriculum side. And um, I really struggled with that and ends down the wrong path. I, I do think my mom kind of spotted that, that, that this was, was happening to me. And she, she, she stepped in as being some sort of a, a carbon copy of her mom, my grandma, and and picked up where she left off um, back then. And and I think it was when she she stepped in um, that I started to 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 have some change in that downward spiral that that I was on when I perhaps was fifteen, even before I left school. It, it was it was rather down. So I mean, I, I earlier on said a wee bit of bother. What kind of bother did you get into? Well, the, the biggest one I can, which, which changed my life was, was 1986, when, just when I, I thought that I'd managed to, to, to go through the most difficult part of, of growing up. Um, that I, you know, you know, the old saying of, you know, you go wrong until you, you go really wrong. And I went really wrong, where I, I was sentenced for a very long time in prison. Um, I was there for five years. I originally I had a nine-year sentence. Um, I was there for five, um, and it was there that I discovered the difference between Keith and Levi. And I knew then that Keith had led me down this path of always trying to find the easy way out. I suppose because that was him. Whereas Levi, the, the, the artist who I was trying to create. While I was serving my sentence, there was a, a wonderful lady that came in. She was a drama teacher that, that came in, in into the prison and, and did sort of a two-day-a-week lessons for, for prisoners. And it was listening to her that changed my life. Um, I wasn't a very good listener before, but for the first time, I had managed to form a relationship, you know, with this person. Not a, not a personal relationship. I mean, uh, just as a, as a prisoner and a... Uh, and, and the teacher, and I much I managed to to, to open up and, and let her in, and and she found Levi that was hidden deep within within the quagmire of what Keith is, and and for you know for a very long time I, I listened to her in in every way. I read all the books that she would give to me, and and that was the change you know of me. It was the most amazing metamorphosis that I could sort of sometimes rise above myself and, and see the changes that was being done just because I, I was opening up and listening to someone. And that was the, the, the creator, creative, I think, of, of the real Levi that, that came out um, and made a promise not to go back and discovered that if I had found me earlier, I suppose like a many a young kids now, 
or someone was there to, fi- uh, to find the real you or to find the best of you, I should say, then it perhaps wouldn't have taken me so long to struggle. But I, I came out and as, as the real me, the person that I wanted to be and the person who I felt that I should be and I could be. And, and it's been a, an absolutely amazing, you know, journey from then onwards. I have such mixed feelings listening to you because for you, for your personal story, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? That you were able to, you know, to look into yourself with, with the help of, of that person within prison and, and discover the real self. But it just makes me think about all the kids. And I mean, I know you're concerned very much about your community, but I've also heard you speak about there's lots of kids from, you know, from all different backgrounds who really struggle. Um and sometimes, you know, we're here in Glasgow, that's where we live. You know, there's lots of um, young people here who live in very difficult circumstances. And, you know, we'll see them and we'll say, oh, God, I don't know where you're going to end up because you can see it's going down a bad path. And I often think, what, what is their level of awareness? Is that, Was there always a little thing in you? You're going wrong, you're going wrong, but you didn't know how to get back on track or were you oblivious? What- yeah, I think the way I could explain it is that like many young people like myself, wherever you're from. I think I spent a lot of time looking for the money. You know, I think that was the major thing that we all did. It's trying to get that get rich quick thing. And it's always searching for the cash. Whatever it is that you did, that was the greatest pool. It wasn't until when I started to be mentored by this lady, and it was Teresa, by the way, that she taught me that you shouldn't be looking for it. She used to be looking to learn how to use the cash. Should you be so lucky to get your hands in it? Or when you, you're so lucky to get your hands in it, you'll be able to, to, to not to do it. And that was involved learning about patience. Again, that was never me before I, you know, allowed somebody to, 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 to instruct me in that kind of way. It's, it's fine that patience was an amazing thing that I had been, been missing out of my life. And and that's one of the things that I tell me back and many people like myself. Um, and, and, you know, not just in my community, but, you know, all around the world. I think patience is an amazing thing. It's when I got to learn how to be patient. I think everything started to fall in place for me and it's just waiting around. But that's something that I said, it took me time to be able to learn that. Yeah, but it's almost part of being a young person that you're in a hurry, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Your commercial success, I mean, there's no such thing as an, an overnight success. I mean, I know that you had developed the, the sauce and you were selling it at Notting Hill Carnival and other places and then Dragon's Den came along and things did change overnight then, didn't they? Um, how much of a difference did that make to you feeling inside? Because you'd done a lot of work on yourself already, hadn't you? I did. I did. As I said, that change, you know, that mindset that you're I was pretty much aware that I was changing, that I, I had to change. And I was aware that there was another part of me because you can't get away from that. Um, and I, I think what I had to learn as well is how to use that other side. Because it was imp- it's important to know where you're coming from and, and, and use the journeys that wherever you're going to, those experiences that you learn from behind, you use them to where you're going. And I, I had to get used to the fact that I'd been getting things wrong. But the most important thing that I had to do was learn how to use that um, and taught myself that mistakes is not a bad thing. Um, I rebranded mistakes as feedback 
whenever time I struggled, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I remembered this because I'm old enough now to have gone through a lot of stuff in my life that I can draw out and pull them and recite them and use them to the, to the good of now. And I think that skill kind of helped me to make that balance. When all of a sudden I was usurped from being on the street of Brixton trying to sell my sauce on the front line to all sorts of people that probably would have had an encounter. Um, to, before I, I could quit my eyes, I was, on, I was in front of Justin King, chief of Sainsbury's, and his first order for reggae reggae sauce was almost 350,000 bottles. And, and from then onwards, you're dealing with people like that. And so it takes me back to where I was saying that being on Dragons then didn't turn me into an entrepreneur overnight. It didn't sort of switch me all of a sudden to be able to deal with the pressures of business and talking to people like Justin and making you know extreme orders for Sainsbury's and Tesco's and big names like that. I think I was always me, but but I think it's that switch that somebody needs to come in and and maybe help you to find the real you. And for me, I was so lucky to be able to, to have met somebody that did that for me. I, I think that is such a great quality, though, to, as, as you said, to recognise we all make mistakes in life. We all go down, you know, dead ends or wrong turnings or whatever. But rather than maybe trying to airbrush that, as some people would, and forget that, no, don't mention it, um, you've actually kind of used those experiences you know, to to make your life better rather than just trying to put them to one side. Yeah, because as I said before, I you know I've made so much mistakes in the you know, in rather in trying to disregard them, I, I think what I did is try to own them. Um, is is admit to them to your mistakes and everything that you've done wrong, and perhaps that was one of the hardest things for me to do. You know, especially some of the things that you don't want to admit um, to. Uh, you, you, you take your time to be able to use these moments to be able to make your, your life better. And it become like a, you know, like a, a, a load off the shoulder when, when you, when you be sort of, you know, you take off that robe of wearing your, your life as a sort of a mistake around, around you, your neck. And, and I managed to free that up. And now I rejoiced in my past. Because I know that now my past is, is now it's helped me, and I now I have a very young son. His name is Christopher, and I'm really hoping that my mistakes of the past is going to help him to have a better future ahead. So I I, I rejoice even all the stuff that you know maybe I probably would want to forget, but there are moments that I would be able to use them. Yeah, you've got eight children, is that right? I do. Yeah, four boys, four girls. Wow. I know that's, that's a lot. What are the age range? Where does Christopher come in? Christopher is the youngest. He's 10. And my, 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 my eldest was born in 1978, which was the, the year that I made my first record called Poor Man's Story. Um, and it was the year that I joined Sir Cox and Sound in London. And, and that was the time where just after the Brixton riots. You know, you're very open about your life professionally and things. And, you know, you have no need to be open personally. That's up to every individual. But have you made mistakes personally that you feel you've learned from as well? I think we all do. Um, yeah, I, I think the ones that, if anything, weighs a little bit heavier than the others are family ones. Um, you've just mentioned children there. I, I think those are the regrets that I have 
if any, that that's the only bit I do. I, you know, I, I think I wasn't a very good father in the past. That that's my only regret um, of, of all, because I think that one day it becomes really personal. But I, I do think now, I think for Christopher, I'm the greatest dad that he could ever be, because again, using the mistakes of my past. Now, I, I'm so happy that I think I'm perhaps the most happiest person in the whole wide world because I have this most amazing child, you know, and a fantastic relationship um, with his mom. And we live in this bubble of this wonderful, sweet, sweet, um, squared relationship. And it's just amazing that, that I've, you know, I've managed to turn it around. But when I look back at those things as we talked about mistakes and see if, if there's one thing that I that I, I would change. It's not the mistakes about, you know, all this stuff going to prison and all that. No, I think that those things are part of who I am. But it, it would be having a better relationship with my elder children. So Christopher's 10. Yeah. yeah. And your oldest, I wasn't say child, it's a funny phrase, isn't it? It's in their 40s. Do they see one another? Do you all your children have a, do they have a relationship? With one another? No, they don't. And as I say, you know, these are one of the regrets because the story is, is not a happy one. And and I, if, if I've managed to keep everything else at bay, at bay you know, as feedback and, and this one, you know, it's it, it's a solid one and you, you can never get rid of it because that, that's your life's the most important thing. But you can you cannot go back and change things. Um, your open things will change within the future. You know, for me, it is it is who I am now, and it is not the person that that couldn't deal with having seven children when I had my sentence and went away, leaving seven children behind, um, and they were all pretty young at the time. It, there's not much I could I could have done, but I still beat up on myself sometimes, thinking that you know maybe I could have done better, I I should have I should have done better, but it's it's a difficult one. I suppose you, when you think about it, though, uh, there's all that thing about give me a child till they're seven or give me a boy till he's seven and I'll show you a man. You know, going back over your early experiences, you had this wonderful, loving grandmother, but you you wouldn't be that close with your mum and dad, obviously, because you, you didn't know them as a young person. You probably had a bit of a fractured relationship with your siblings, not because of any terrible thing, just because of circumstance. So I guess, where did you learn your idea of what family was? That, that's a really good question. I think you're just on the street, isn't it? I, I think in, in those days, you're left to your own devices. Um, I, I think it would be wrong if we were to get how life was in the 70s and 80s and mixed it up with how new people are now. Because what my father was like and what life was like in, 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 in those days and and the way I am with Christopher now is is completely two different ways. It, it's it's like it's moved on in, in in how relationship between children and old souls are, you know, or were. And I think that's that's something that we've got to really look at. I, I think my my upbringing upbringing was pretty toxic in in my household, um, and you you tend not to use that as any kind of barometer for what life. Is like you you take that from your peers and the people who you're you're associated with more unlikely um, and whether that's good or bad it's it's down to your luck of who you're mingling with and I, I think that's that's how 
it's still the same way that young people that ends up in gangs right now do it. Uh, what, what happens to them? Because if you can't get that nurturing from inside the home, you know, then someone else is always out there who's willing to say, oh, come over here, you know, I'll listen to you and I'm not going to critique what you say and I'll blame them like how you're blaming them. Um, and, and you open up to those people and before you know it, you're down in the wrong path. Um, so in some ways, you know, that was where my life was. You didn't really have the network within the family to, to, to do that. Um, and hence you, you end up going down the wrong path. Aside from your grandmother, was Teresa in prison the first person that had really listened to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or to be fair, I would say, on the other hand, I, it, she was the first uh, person that I let in for, for, for me to open up to. Um, because of not having it before, you put up a barrier there. Because um, it's not something that you, you're used to. But you, you're, you're afraid of being frail, of letting yourself go. So you, you, you put in a barrier there. But there's always circumstances that allow you to to, to, to break that barrier down because um, you bleed up there yourself. And, and for me, just, I was in a situation where I had to change. You you you, you fall off three of the as they say, and and I didn't want to fall. But I mean, I guess when you landed in cold and wet London, as it probably was at the age of eleven, you know, having you know been taken away from your grandmother effectively. You must have just been in survival mode. Yeah, it, it was. You know, as I said, you I wanted to be the cool kid. Um, as I said, I, I remember in school that you were in those days that the you know the pupils didn't take you lightly, and neither did the tutors if you couldn't brush up and be with everybody else. And as I said, I came over, I, I couldn't even spell Keith, you know, and, and going into secondary school. I, I couldn't I couldn't count to ten. Because um, I just never went to school at all. My granny just couldn't afford. As the youngest, I was perhaps the only one in the family that never went to school as the youngest one. Because my parents were prepared to send for my brothers and sisters, my elder ones, to come over first. So they went to school and all that kind of stuff. So for me, coming over, my first experience was going into school and absolutely zilch. And, and, you know, pupils, as I said, didn't hold back there. To, to call Jerry the dunce or, or something like that. He was very open that um, if you if you didn't excel, you were going to have a pretty hard time. So I think then it'd be that, you know, if it's fall or three. So for me, it was trying to be the cool kid, trying to be the joker, trying to trying to get friends amongst my friends. And and that way, um, that's how I ended up down, down the wrong path. As a black person at, at that age, because that's the, and you haven't mentioned race at all, actually, which is really interesting. Um, was that a factor in your your sort of struggles to fit in? I presume that it was, but maybe not. I don't think so. I I mean, those kind of stuff will always happen without you knowing it, um, because that is the worst kind of racism, and that's why I I don't really ever kind of touch on that kind of stuff because when it affects me, I probably didn't even know about it. Um, but I get asked that question all the time, and, and I always say, I can, if anything, the barrier that kept me from being a successful, that's for, as much as I know it, are put up there by myself. You know, like I said, those barriers trying to protect who I am because you didn't get love from anywhere else, you think that you will never get it, then you put it up there. And, and the minute you open up 
And that's, that's when you get it through. And, and I've always seen it for me in that way, instead of sort of blaming it on the system or anything else. I, if anything, I, I, I blame my own self. Um, but no, I, I, I've never seemed to push, push that point. So here you are at 64. Have you achieved all that you've wanted to achieve? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's been amazing. It really has. And, and the only thing that I, I regret is that my mom, who has been there with me throughout all the journey, as I said, who picked up where my grandma left off and saw that, you know, this kid is really struggling. I've got to, you know, put some special care around him. Um, she passed away, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and yeah, it, the most amazing thing was, was to come out of Dragon's Den on that day when I actually did the, did the business and call her up and tell her that her mom, I, I slayed the dragons. It was the most amazing thing that, you know, that she, she, um, she had that to say her son, you know, did something special for him. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Levi, it's been great to speak to you. We do this little um, thing called Big Six O Bingo. So we have got 50 random questions. Right, okay, let's have a first number. 28. What age do you feel? Oh, my God. I, I feel like we're in my 20s, actually. That's when I first started <laughs> to record again, back in music and just started the source business and singing and playing music and just feeling like me, the Levi. Uh, right, one more. 27. Right. What has life taught you? Yeah, I, I think that thing about patience has been a really big part of me accepting who I am. For, for instance, you know, coming out of Jaggedy's and I remember everybody thought I was loaded with money just after you, you, you know, you come out, you come out, which I was completely broken, <laughs> frazzled for months and months and end. And, you know, people think that you're rolling it. I would go out and people are ordering drinks, left, right, and center and all kind of stuff. And expect me to pay the bar and I'd be like, having to write IOUs to this attend. <laughs> And for a couple of years, I, I was owing a lot of money on you that you didn't get the money until like way after. So yeah, patience was an absolutely amazing thing. Levi, thank you so much. Um, it's been great to speak to you. Um, all the very best. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for this week. And uh, Levi has a film of his life story about to go into production. So do look out for that. Next week, the country's first ever female Home Secretary, Jackie Smith. To say she's had her ups and downs is an understatement, so make sure you listen in. And keep in touch. How are you tackling 60? Podcast at htb60.com is the email address. We look forward to hearing from you. Hold up. 